I'm Brett McGarry. This week on The Couch Potatoes, we've got Monsters, Mulan, and Matt Damon's buddy in the March movie preview. Plus, I'm Jeff Braun. I took another ride into the Butlerverse this week. We'll see if Jerry Butts has what it takes to captain the Hunter Killer. Jerry Butts. You're calling Gerard him, Butler, that's his name. You're calling him Jerry From Butler. now on, that's what we're going by. Yep. All right, and this week's episode of Survivor was a Hall of Famer. of old, the world was full of wonder and magic. But times change. I'm a mighty warrior! Morning, Mom! Hey, birthday boy! By the laws of yore, I must dub thee a man today. Kneel before me. That's okay. I have a gift from your dad. He just said to give you this when you were both over 16. No way! It's a wizard staff. Dad was a wizard! What? Your dad was an accountant. This spell brings him back. For one whole day, Dad will be back! What? Back? Like back to life? That's not possible. It is with this. I'm gonna meet Dad. Oh, what did I do? The March movie preview kicks off with a big one this weekend from Disney Pixar. It's called Onward. The main characters are Ian and Barley, teenage elf brothers voiced by Tom Holland and Chris Pratt. They're elf brothers who live in a suburban fantasy world. Everyone is a magical creature of some sort, but everyone has moved on from their old-fashioned magical ways to make way for modern technology and, quite frankly, complacency. As you heard, their late father bequeathed a wizard's staff upon them. They used it to try to bring him back to life for a day, but they only brought half of him back from the waist down, and the spell only lasts 24 hours. So they go on a quest to get the spell right so they can spend time with their dad one last time, and in the case of the younger elf, for the first time. It looks super fun, but with that storyline, you got to imagine this one's also going to be a huge tearjerker. Pixar is so good at that stuff. This is getting solid reviews. Pixar invites you to a magical world that's lost its magic. Did you know centaurs could run 70 miles an hour? I own a vehicle. Don't need to ride. Tom Holland and Chris Pratt. Come, dear brother! We're going on a quest. Two brothers. We'll bring the magic back. Oh no. What happened? Looks like you shrunk me. Onward. High five! Ah, what is happening? I think the spell is wearing off! Only in cinemas March 6th. Also this week, Ben Affleck plays a role that hits close to home as an alcoholic high school basketball coach in a movie called The Way Back. You know, my dad told me last night, he said that you got a full ride to Kansas. You just quit. Why? My father didn't like me very much, and then someone told him I was good at basketball, and he paid a lot more attention to me. And I realized it wasn't me that he loved, it was what I could do. I spent a lot of time hurting myself, trying to hurt my father, and I never picked up the basketball again. Affleck, who's been very upfront with his alcoholism, plays Jack, a guy at rock bottom who used to be a basketball prodigy and is asked to coach at his old high school. 
We need a new coach, Jack. You're the first person I thought of. The team any good? No. <laughs> In fact, the last time they made the playoffs, back when you were playing. It's the whole team, 10 kids. I want to know why they're leaving you open. It's because they don't think you could hit the ocean from the beach. (laughs) Looks like an inspirational sports movie to me, and those are often pretty great, even if they're not pretty great, but this is getting decent reviews so far. I have a soft spot for Affleck, who's had one of the weirder Hollywood careers. Lots of highs, lots of lows. We're rooting for him in real life, and I can't wait to root for him in The Way Back. You're nervous. I get it. Truth is, I'm more talented than you. Probably got a better coach. But I promise you, they are not a better team. Because they haven't been through what we've been through. They don't know adversity. They don't know what it's like to get knocked down and have to get back up again. They don't know what it is to fight. We can't change the past, Jack. What we can do is choose how we move forward. On Friday the 13th, Vin Vin Diesel is a superhero in a movie called Bloodshot. And initiate sequence. Gina, I'm home. Memories are made of this. What is this place? I'm sorry to be the one to tell you this, but you got yourself killed. At RST, we'd rebuild the most important assets in the U.S. military. Soldiers like yourself. You're the first who we've successfully managed to bring back. Improved, enhanced. With the technology in your veins, you have an army inside you. And not only does it make him stronger, it also makes him heal instantly so he becomes a superhero, but he doesn't want to be used as a weapon by Guy Pierce, who we heard in the clip there, as the scientist guy who does this to Vin. Bloodshot is based on a comic book from a company called Valiant, and I guess it's here because Vin is just sick of appearing as a tree in the comic book movies. They're also trying to launch a Valiant cinematic universe. The movie looks suitably bonkers and is hopefully a lot of fun. You can't control me forever. Sure about that? Revenge is what makes a man like you exceptional. You know nothing about men like me. That is absolutely fantastic. I feel like I just heard this. Are they playing this on repeat? excited about that one <laughs> i think i'll go see that one really yeah yeah, yeah. vin diesel i uh, <laughs> used to not used to not like him right correct i used to i used to, he was i didn't understand him oh now okay. i'm on the same frequency as him <laughs> so long as it's entertaining it doesn't matter also out in the 13th a film that has been surrounded by controversy it's called the hunt everybody get down i know what this is it's Mannergate. Every year, these rich elites kidnap a bunch of normal folks like us. Where'd they get you from? Wyoming. Orlando. Mississippi. This is a real thing. They're hunting human beings for a sport. Then you're not human beings. They're calling it the most talked about movie of the year that nobody has seen yet. I'll just read the the official description. 
Twelve strangers wake up in a clearing. They don't know where they are or how they got there. They don't know they've been chosen for a very specific purpose, the hunt. In the shadow of a dark internet conspiracy theory, a group of elites gathers for the very first time at a remote manor house to hunt ordinary Americans for sport. But the elite's master plan is about to be derailed because one of the hunted, Crystal, who is played by Betty Gilpin from the Netflix show Glow, knows the hunter's game better than they do. She turns the tables on the killers, picking them off one by one as she makes her way toward the mysterious woman, two-time Oscar winner Hilary Swank, at the center of it all. There has to be a reason they chose us. I'm not going down with that fire. War is war. You have no idea what you're up against. This time, they picked the wrong woman. Game of survival. I'm gonna rip you to pieces. We'll see. Controversy is basically this. It was originally going to come out in September, but was immediately criticized as being about a movie of liberals and conservatives killing each other. However, the movie was actually delayed because its ads were running when mass shootings occurred in El Paso and Dayton, killing 34 people. So they pressed pause, and now it's back. Even Donald Trump weighed in, tweeting, Liberal Hollywood is racist at the highest level, and with great anger and hate, they like to call themselves elite, but they are not elite. In fact, it is often the people that they so strongly oppose that are actually the elite. The movie coming out is made in order to inflame and cause chaos. They create their own violence and then try to blame others. They are the true racists and are very bad for our country. Okay. The cast also includes Emma Roberts and Justin Hartley from This Is Us. I think the most interesting thing about all of this, though, is the way the movie has been marketed. The international trailer, super serious. The first two clips you heard, very serious and thrilling. But the North American marketing has been more satirical. And that's what they say this movie is, a satire. A movie that pokes fun at both liberals and conservatives. Either way, I think the hunt looks fun. You actually believed we were hunting human beings for sport. But you are. We have an opportunity here to teach these people. These are not real people. They're actors. I'm playing an Arab refugee, but I identify as white. I think that's problematic too, in some way. You wanted it to be real, so you decided it was. kind of sick people would even think of something like that? White people. We're the worst. Up next, we've already heard from two Guardians of the Galaxy. We heard from Star-Lord and Groot, and Drax gets his day next. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett, he's Jeff, we are the Couch Potatoes, we're doing our March movie preview, we're on to Friday the 13th, where Dave Bautista, aka Drax the Destroyer from Guardians of the Galaxy, stars in My Spy. I'm just not that good with people, but there is one thing I'm good at. JJ's big mission, you'll be on surveillance, has one tiny problem. Are you guys CIA? We got made by a nine-year-old. What's the option? Killer. Make it look like an accident. Still recording. From the director of Get Smart. Teach me how to be a spy. Get past me. Oh, That's some cold-blooded. He's a pro. Go to school. 
She's a natural. I can smell a lot. Like this? I believe you that you've never taken steroids. Stop. My Spy. Rated PG-13. My Spy is about JJ, a hardened CIA operative who gets demoted and gets stuck with a bratty nine-year-old girl named Sophie as he's been sent undercover to spy on her family. But kids are smart, and she finds hidden cameras. And, of course, because she's a kid, she's better at technology than we are. She uses her tech smarts to figure out where the surveillance operation is and threatens to blow his cover unless he teaches her to be a spy. He tries to resist, but discovers he's no match for the nine-year-old. Looks like it could be a good one for families. Moving to March 20th, a sequel to one of the biggest surprises to hit the big screen in recent years. Let's just go back a couple of years here. On April 6th, stop talking. Stop moving. Don't make a sound. Because if they hear you, they haunt you. We have to protect them. A quiet place is genuinely scary. A remarkable achievement. And now it's 100% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. A quiet place in theaters April 6th. That was 2018's A Quiet Place, set in a world that is overrun with monsters who hunt by sound. So those who wish to survive have to be quiet, even if they've got a baby in tow. It starred real-life wife and husband Emily Blunt and John Krasinski, who also directed and co-wrote the film. It finished with a 95% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, made $340 million worldwide off a $17 million budget, and it was fun. I loved it. Keep meaning to watch it again. It's on Netflix, so I will clearly need to do that over the next two weeks, because now we've got the sequel. I came all the way up here. There's nothing left. Please. There are people out there. People worth saving. We won't survive. Tickets are now on sale for the sequel, which finds the remaining family members venturing out in the world in search of new people. But not only do they have to worry about the monsters, they have to worry about bad people. Killian Murphy joins the cast this time's out. Hopefully it lives up to the original. He's definitely a bad people, because Killian Murphy is almost always a bad people. Yeah, was he a bad guy in Inception? I don't think so. I don't know. I just never trust that guy. Yeah, he looks like a bad guy. <laughs> There's a religious musical biopic on the 20th called I Still Believe. Now we have an artist who's had 32 number one singles, 4.5 million albums sold. Let's welcome Jeremy Camp. IMDb calls it, quote, the true life story of Christian music star Jeremy Camp and his journey of love and loss that looks to prove there is always hope. That's a vague description, and the trailer is pretty vague as well. And I was cynical enough to write down here, I sort of suspect we'll never hear about this movie again. But then I recalled uh, Chrissy Metz had a song in Breakthrough that was nominated for an Oscar, and she performed it at the Oscars. So maybe we will hear about from it again. Yeah, don't underestimate these movies. Yeah, there we go. Uh, and finally, on the 27th, the latest in the growing line of Disney live-action movies based on beloved animated movies, it's Mulan. A good wife must be elegant, graceful, invisible. 
know my place. I'm Hua Mulan. One man from every family has to fight in the war, according to the Emperor of China. Mulan's family has no son, so she goes instead, and I assume she kicks butt. I never saw the cartoon. Did you ever see that one, Brett? No, I didn't. Uh, I was 22 when it came out, so far too cool for a Disney cartoon at that point. But by all accounts, it's very good, and the live-action remake will likely fall a little shorter critically, and then make a ton of cash anyways, because that's what seems to be the trend with the live-action remakes. That is the March movie preview, and I should point out Killian Murphy, he was in that movie 28 Days Later. Just The zombie one or the one with, uh, what's her name from the bus? Yeah, the, the zombie the zombie uh, one. Not the Sandra Bullock one. Uh, what was that? That was the one where she's in rehab. Uh, was that called 28, just 28 one days? One of them maybe? was 28 days and one of them was 28 days okay, later. The, the rehab one is 28 days and 28 days later, yeah, that Killian Murphy. He plays the guy who wakes up and realizes that there's a zombie apocalypse and he needs to escape. Coming up in a moment, we have to go back to the Butlerverse. <laughs> You're yeah! listening to The Couch Potatoes. Brett McGarry, Jeff Braun, we are the Couch Potatoes. We will soon tell you about Jeff's recent latest visit into the Butlerverse. But first... We raved after the first episode of Survivor this latest season, and that episode, turns out, wasn't a fluke. Season 40, Winners at War, in which 20 previous winners of the show face off against each other, has been on fire every single week, and this past week was probably the best episode yet. Weirdly enough, I find with most Survivor episodes that the last 20 minutes is the best. The immunity challenge is over, and then when we spend a segment with the losers as they plot over who to vote out, then it's Tribal Council and the spit hits the fan. I love watching the plotting and the scheming way more than the challenges or whatever perfunctory scenes open the show, and especially the filler that often seems to be the case in the early part of each episode or the obligatory trip to the edge of extinction, that sort of thing. But this week was the opposite, and spoilers will follow, although we might not spoil exactly who got voted out. Uh, first, it started with this apology tour from Adam as he tried to make up for his blunder last week where he tried to play both sides and he got burned. He's the tribe pariah, and now he has to work hard to get back in everyone's good graces. Then there was a little scene from the other tribe, which mostly featured Yule ha- hugging everyone because they're a happy tribe because they've been winning most of the challenges. And then it was out to <clears throat> the edge of extinction to check in with the season's booties. They are Natalie, Amber, Danny, and Ethan. And they're given a challenge. They each have to make this arduous trek up the little mountain to get this uh, pieces of firewood. They each have to get 20 logs, and they can only bring back one at a time, and they have until sundown to do it to win a fire token. Now, it's a killer trek, especially considering their meager circumstances, the shape they're in, and it literally almost seems to kill Ethan. It brings everyone to tears, but he's a little older, and you know, he's beaten cancer twice. And it's just too much for him physically. The paramedics even have to come in and check him out, that sort of thing. But then after that, he finds inner and outer strength to keep going as very inspiring stuff. And then what happens? The challenge happens in which Boston Rob's tribe is losing hard because Adam, remember, they're all mad at Adam. He can't jump off a plank and grab this key that they need. Uh, He tries over and over again. He's dying. He's in tears. 
Meantime, the other tribe has pulled way ahead. They're at the end of the challenge, putting this puzzle together. Finally, Adam grabs that key. They continue on. And then before we know it, they're caught up to the other tribe. Boston, Rob, and Michelle tear through this puzzle. And they end up winning the challenge. A remarkable come-from-behind victory that's pretty rare. I mean, teams come back all the time, but not like this. Adam makes this little speech about not giving up and powering through. And it's weirdly both inspirational, but it's also comical because the obstacle he's just overcome was so much smaller compared to what Ethan did earlier in the episode. It's just a bad luck for Adam that he pulls off this amazing thing, but you know, 20 minutes after somebody did something more impressive. And then the other tribe finally has to go to tribal for the first time in a few weeks, and the wheeling and dealing was probably pretty good if it was in a regular episode, but it just felt a little bit less given how amazing what we'd just seen was. And then there's this final beautiful moment while the credits roll, the newest booty shows up at the edge of extinction and says to the camera, oh, kind of relieved to be here because it'll just be like going on vacation. Maybe we'll even have a couple of pina coladas. Then they look, make a little offhand comment. They go, wow, you guys sure have a lot of firewood because they have no idea what those people have just been through to get that firewood. It's an amazing button to a fantastic episode. Yeah, I loved this episode. The challenge was... Uh, I always enjoy the challenges, I think, more than this, this scheming. I, I find the transition from the immunity challenge to Tribal Council to be a part where I almost always want to skip. Yeah. And that, that could just be sort of impatience. Right? I just want to get on with it. Who did it? Uh, who's gone? Yeah, who's going to go home? But this week's challenge was just sensational. And what I enjoyed about it, or one of the many things I enjoyed about it, not just the comeback, but Jeff Probst, I... For for many years, I used to hate how he would never shut up during yeah, these yeah. challenges and would kind of poke at them, especially when they're doing the individual challenges where they, where concentration is required, and he's he just doesn't stop talking. You can tell he's trying to get in their heads, right? And I always picture myself standing on this little tiny foothold, a toehold, <laughs> and just shouting out, "Hey, probes, shut up, or I'm going to bury you." That's what Jonathan used to do. Remember that guy, Jonathan, with the little hat? He oh, was, yeah. He was, he was like, yeah, thanks, Jeff. That's right. That's Silence right. now, please. Yeah, I would probably actually threaten him. But uh, in this one, so there's one moment where he's going on and on about how the one team is losing. This is a disaster. This is maybe the biggest blowout in Survivor history. And then he goes on. And then once they finally get the key, he springs sort of into a completely different mode and flips it to say, now we got a race. And he, so he goes from being so disparaging yeah. to making it this dramatic, thrilling turnaround. And then when they come back, so he is so good at making those challenges even more exciting. And I did enjoy the scheming as well because it, it had so many twists and turns and that's been what uh, it's been so unpredictable yeah. this year like even as the game has evolved it it is almost predictable in many ways because you know they're going to go this way and then zag or zig one way but zag the other but the way they ended up going when they suggested it i thought oh wow cuz they they were going to start one way and then they went another way and then they went another way yeah that's true. And the week before, the same thing happened, where it's like, oh, Adam's going to do this, and then they'll all do this. And then Michelle and Jeremy are like, well, no, let's do this third way instead. And it's like, well, what? Yeah. And, and people got mad about it because they liked Ethan or whatever, but too bad. But yeah, it's been very exciting and, like you say, pretty predictably unpredictable along the way. And I can't believe Ewell isn't targeting Tony more. 
Yeah. Because Yule likes to get rid of the wild cards, the crazy people, and Tony's a crazy... Like, you just don't know what he's going to do, right? But Tony hasn't shown that side no, of himself. He's, he's playing it cool. Yeah. He, you know, even Tony recognized, I need to not be myself because I'm going to get kicked out because he got punted right away. Yeah, Last the, time. And the second time when he came back. Because right. he, he won his first time, right? Yeah. And then he got tossed... Almost immediately. Because the first thing he did was go running into the woods to look for immunity idols when he got to the beach. Yeah, because he thought he was invincible and he realized (laughs) very quickly that he was not invincible. But I also have a feeling that your prediction about Yule winning this season is going to turn out to be correct. He is maybe the most intelligent player who's ever played this game. Yeah, but even sometimes with those super smart guys, all of a sudden it's just one step too far, right? And especially with this crowd... It might not take, like, they might not let him blindside them all, like, like bamboozle them like that. Sooner or later, somebody's going to be like, hey, wait a minute. Yule's actually pulling all these strings. we got to get rid of him. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. That's what, it, who knows? Like, any, I honestly believe any, actually any one of these people could win. They've yeah. all shown, even Nick, who has been just silent all game, like, all of a sudden, he was a presence this week, you know? Yeah. So who knows? And at the end, they showed Michelle saying, how did I get stuck on an island with my ex-boyfriend? I looked it up right away, so I know who it is. I did, too. Yeah, <laughs> I did, too. So, But that was that was funny. So that's something to look forward to for next week's episode. So yeah, this season so far is going down in history as one of the best seasons of Survivor, one of the best seasons of unscripted television. And of course, you can watch it every Wednesday night on Global. Up next, we'll tell you what's new on home video. And... And I can't believe Jeff Braun continues to watch movies of an actor for he hated for so long. Do you still hate him, or do you like like to hate him, or hate to like him? Sort or of what? in the Vin Diesel uh, arena, where I'm, I'm mesmerized by their screen presence, but I'm not convinced they're a good actor. Well, yeah, but I thought you love Vin Diesel now. I mean, he's Dom Torello. Yeah, I do love him in that, but we'll see. Is it? We'll did see. I get the last name right? What did, did you? I said Torello. No, I Dom don't even Torello? know. It's been two minutes. You're two going minutes. down. Oh, okay, hang on a second. I got to look that, this up right now. Fast. It's close to that. Tortello? Tortellini? Toretto. Toretto, that's it. That's right. I was trying to, because I, I, I can picture the rock in Fast Five saying, you're going down, Toretto. But I couldn't remember. I was hearing him say, you're going down, Torello. And I thought, no, that doesn't sound right. So. It's because I just call them Vin Diesel and the rock. When you got names like that, who cares what the character names are? <laughs> you're listening to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. We'll go to the Butlerverse in a moment, but first... You have a brother in the 2nd Battalion. Yes, sir. They're walking into a trap. Your orders are to deliver a message calling off tomorrow's attack. If you fail, we will lose 1,600 men. Your brother among them. We need to keep moving! Come on! There's only one way this war ends. No! No, no! Last man standing. Having a look at what is coming to home video. What was that? That was 1917, winner of many Academy Awards, and it's on digital HD. On Tuesday, March 10th, it also received rave reviews from both Couch Potatoes. Yes, loved that movie. I'm so glad I got to see that one on a big screen, but it's certainly going to be worth taking a look at at home because now you'll be able to pause and pour over all of the amazing details on display in that film. Just uh, an incredible piece of work. I almost said was going to say the best picture winner because I had I had <laughs> thought it was such a foregone conclusion it was yeah. going to win and I forgot that Parasite won. That's right. So, pardon me. Um, also on Digital HD on Tuesday, a horror movie called The Grudge. The Grudge. That's a remake, is it not? Yeah. Remake of a remake? Uh, 
Yeah, that's right, because the American version was a remake of the Japanese version, and by all accounts, this new one was terrible. And there's an animated movie called Spies in Disguise, starring Will Smith and Tom Holland. So that kind of circles back to our March movie preview, because we had one movie called My Spy, and we had another movie starring Tom Holland as the voice of one of the characters in that Disney Pixar movie <laughs> Onward. There he goes. That's Digital HD on Blu-ray DVD on Tuesday. Adam Sandler's Uncut Gems, but you don't need to buy it because it's for free on the Netflix if you got the Netflix. And uh, Bombshell starring Shalise Theron, Nicole Kimmin, and Margot Robbie. Uh, that's a pretty good movie too. That's about the uh, sex scandal over at Fox News. So a couple of... Those ones are a little bit tougher to watch than probably Spies in Disguise. But yeah. <laughs> there you go. That Bombshell, what an incredible cast. Three just a Amazing women, and uh, I really should probably check it out. You say you saw it? I did see it. It's okay. pretty good. Yeah, that's, that's definitely worth the rent. All right. Okay. You ready for it? I'm ready. Okay, I went back to the Butler verse this week, and that, by the way, is the Butler versus the films of uh, Gerard Butler, the <laughs> famous, what is he, Irish or Scottish actor? Scottish. Yeah. So this week I went into the Butler verse, and I checked out 2018's Hunter Killer. Captain, waiting orders. Admiral Durov is staging a coup. He's holding the Russian president hostage. We've been ordered to rescue him. It's the most aggressive military buildup in Russian history. There aren't too many training simulations for this one. Go, go, go! Torpedoes in the water! You are authorized to protect your crew. Thank you for the water day! Wait for impact! Hunter Killer. Just to see. Hunter Killer made $15 million in North America, $31 million worldwide two years ago when it came out. It's at 36% on Rotten Tomatoes. And in this one, our band Jerry Butts plays the captain of a U.S. Navy submarine, and it's his first day on the job. In fact, it's his first day ever as a captain of any submarine. And he and his sub are sent on a mission to the waters just off the coast of Russia to find another U.S. sub. In the first scene, we watch that sub get shot by something, and right after something appears to shoot the Russian sub that it had been tailing. Now, the Pentagon thinks that maybe the two subs sunk each other, so they send Butler to investigate. It's all very Cold warish, although it is set in modern day. The U.S. also sends a ground team of four guys to check out some suspicious activity at the nearby Russian uh, seaport, and it turns out there's an attempt to coup. As we heard in the clip there, it's decided the Americans have to save the Russian president. That would be the ground guys and the sub guys working together kind of thing. Because if they don't save the Russian president, it'll look like the Americans have been the aggressors in all of this, and it'll start World War III or something. It's convoluted. I mean, it did sort of make sense, but it's literally been less than a day since I watched this, and I already forget a lot of the plot. That's okay, though, because in movies like this, the plot doesn't matter a whole lot. The movie also stars Common as the main guy at the Pentagon, Linda Cardellini as an NSA boss sharing some scenes with Common, Gary Oldman, of all people, who had just won an Oscar as Common's boss, who just stands there and yells at him. And in one of his final performances, Scandinavian actor Michael Nyquist, a fantastic actor who died far too young in his late 50s, I believe. He was the second lead in the original Swedish The Girl with Dragon Tattoo movies after The Girl. He's also the bad guy in Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol and the bad guy in John Wick 1. Here, he's the commander of a Russian sub. The movie also stars a slew of actors playing Navy Army guys who I've never seen before. And then a slew of Russian actors, many of whom we've seen before. The Captain 
captain of one Russian ship in particular is the most famous nameless Russian guy. I went to his IMDb. I counted 19 movies or TV shows that I had seen him in. Dozens of other titles I recognized but hadn't watched. He is the go-to guy when you need a Russian in your movie or TV show, including three soap operas. He's in General Hospital, Days of Our Lives, and The Young and the Restless. Uh, he was also the dry cleaner on Friends. Joey slept with his wife. Now, I love a good submarine movie. Uh, I haven't seen Hunt for Red October, though. Apparently, that's the best one. I did watch Ice Station Zebra just a week ago. That's a classic sub-movie. And this movie should be fun, but it really isn't. I mean, the movie does have some fun spots, but Butler is not fun. He's super serious, which is a huge mistake. And he's never really even raises his voice in this. It's a boring performance from a guy who usually chews the scenery like nobody's business. And he's fun to watch when he's chewing the scenery. Here he seems to think that he's in a different movie, a very serious, dramatic movie than what he really is in, which is a pretty cheap action movie. The main guy in the army unit on the ground, for example, knows what movie he's in. He is delightfully over the top. Gary Oldman, delightfully over the top. That Russian guy who's in everything, delightfully over the top. Butler should be too. In the end, it was not a bad Netflix watch if you like boat movies. It's very dumb. The ending is ridiculous. But it does have enough entertaining movies that I really didn't feel like I had been wasting my time for two hours. The frustration lies in the waste of potential of Jerry Butts. Two and a half couch cushions out of five for Hunter Killer. Now, the best Butler movie, of course, remains Geostorm, which is even dumber than this movie, but at least everyone's having fun. And Den of Thieves, which is a legit good heist movie. And Butler chews the scenery in the best way possible in that one. So I recommend those two. Can't really recommend Hunter Killer unless you don't mind a kind of a bland movie. Well, he is the voice of one of the, the main characters or one of the, the main supporting characters in the How to Train Your Dragon movies. Yeah. And he also is King Leonidas of uh, Sparta. Have you seen 300 uh, yet? No. That'll be the last one I watch. Yeah, well, yeah, you, you've <laughs> developed this weird obsession with the Butler verse. You have to watch Three Hundred. Uh, that'll be at the end. It'll be the t- the cherry on top. Will be good, uh, to end on a good note. Okay, I was actually almost going to watch that the other day. I was looking at my Blu-ray shelf. I was looking for a movie uh, to watch, and I had Three Hundred in my hand. And oh. then I decide I I called an Audible and a, a big commitment of an Audible. I grabbed Lord of the Rings: oh The Fellowship God. of the Ring. Oh my God. So which means you can't watch no. just one. you got to watch all three. So You're I watched one. for like one. 12 hours now. I thought about watching two back-to-back, and then I said no. So I watched The Fellowship of the Ring on Friday, Two Towers on Saturday, and I'm going to watch uh, The Return of the King this weekend. Nice. And attempt to get it done in under six hours, because it's a four-and-a-half-hour <laughs> movie, and it takes me forever to watch everything. Right. That's all the time we've got. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother.